I'm glad you're joining us for week two of our new series called The Blessed Life, where we've been swinging for the fence, where we are swinging for the fence regarding God's priorities and principles surrounding our whole area of finances and the blessed life and unlocking the rewards of that uh, from God's perspective. So we're swinging for the fence, and it's based on a book, best-selling book by Pastor Robert Morris called The Blessed Life. And I hope that you'll get that book. It's available in the Crossroads Bookstore. Get in a group. Uh, this, is a, this is a very important series for us, and it's been amazing so far. And as our, theme, as our team thought about where this particular message fits on Mother's Day weekend, we thought, you know what? There's nothing better. There's nothing that parents want more, moms and dads, for their kids than for them to grow up and live a generous lifestyle instead of a self-absorbed one. And this is the key to that. The blessed life starts with the heart. And if you missed last, Pastor Katie's message last weekend, go back and watch it. One person said to me last week as she was leaving the auditorium, she said, I wish I had heard that message 30 years ago. Well, when I was in school, uh, there would be occasionally I'd come into class and I'd sit down, I'd get out my notebook, get out my books, get my notebook all ready to take notes and i look around and nobody else in class had their books out. Their desks were clean, and all they had was a pencil. And the sense of dread began to well up in the bottom pit of my stomach, and I began to whisper to my friends, is there a, a test? A test? Is there a, is there a test? I didn't know there was a test. I'd even forgotten to pray the test, the student test prayer the night before. You know that prayer? Now I lay me down to study. I pray thee, Lord, I won't go nutty. If I should die before I wake... That's one less test I'll have to take. <laughs> well, there's a test in the Bible. And it starts, and it, and it happens every time we get a paycheck. How many of you get a paycheck, say, once a month? All right, yeah. How many of you get paid twice a month? How many of you get paid by the job? Yeah, how many of you, like, I don't get a paycheck? Yeah, right. Well, every time we get a paycheck, there's a test. And here's the test. It's a test of our heart. Who am I going to thank with the first part of this income? Who am I going to honor? How am I going to thank? How, who am I going to worship? What's, what has ultimate, who has ultimate priority in my life regarding my income? Some people thank Visa first. They pay Visa first. Some people thank their mortgage company or their cell phone company first. Well, that's fine, but here's the deal. Visa and your mortgage company, they do not have the power to bless your finances. God does. And that's what we're going to look at today. So open your Bible or your device. Take out your program notes. We're going to look at some, some of the Bible today. And the first verse is in Malachi 3.6, where God says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. God's saying, my posture towards you people has always been one of love. That's why you continue to survive. I don't change. That doesn't change, no matter what you do. Verse three, verse seven, he goes on, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Some translations use the word ordinances instead of decrees. An ordinance is an ordinary way of behaving for God's people, an ordinary behavior. And God says, you have a long track record of disregarding ordinary behavior that God hopes and expects from people. And then he goes on, a little longer. Return to me, God says, and I will return to you. But you ask, how are we to return? God responds, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. 
But you ask, how are we robbing you? God responds in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe, which is 10%, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. The loving God says, who doesn't change, says, you've gone away. You've ignored the ordinary principles of God's behavior for his people. When they get their paycheck, God says, I want you to honor me with that. I want you to thank me for that. How? Return 10%. Just right off the top. That's what he's saying. Because you've walked away, God says, because you walked out from underneath the umbrella of my blessing or my power, he says, now you're on your own. You're you're completely at the mercy of your own choices and your own decisions. And some people don't like curse language. You know, we don't really use that word curse much anymore. Think of it as where the power of God is in play. God says, the power of God is in play over here. But if you walk out here, it's not that I won't love you, but I am not going to bring it. The power of God is not functioning out here in the same way. And if we think that we can just, doesn't really matter what decisions we make, and we don't suffer any consequences, well, that's just crazy thinking. I mean, if we steal something, you know, if we, even if we don't get caught, we, there's an effect, a negative consequence. We begin to take on the character of a thief. And some people say, well, it all belongs to God. All the income I get, it all belongs to God. When I die, it's all, I'm gonna leave it all. So it really doesn't matter if I use all of it for myself. It doesn't really matter uh, what I do with my income. It all, it's all his anyway. But God says, that's not exactly the way it is. God says, I've reserved 10%. I've reserved the first 10%. I've set aside the tithe for the house of God, for the church. So if you keep it, God says, it doesn't belong to you. It's like stealing. That's what the Malachi passage says. In, in Joshua chapter six, when the people of God kept the tithe for themselves, God says, you've stolen it. It doesn't belong to you. God says, I don't want you to live out here where the power of God doesn't have any input, any impact on your finances. I want you to live over here. That's what he's saying there. And when we begin to follow God in this area of our lives, in the area of tithing and giving our finances in that, in that way, it's gonna open up a whole new area of faith for some of us because we've never ever done it before. And that's the exciting part. So number one, first point, tithing is a test. God is testing our hearts. And if we find ourselves arguing with God about this, what, 10%? Just think about, a little perspective about Jesus himself. Jesus didn't just give 10% of his life. He gave every last heartbeat. He gave every last ounce of his love for us. And so if we find ourselves arguing with God about returning a mere 10%, that's just crazy thinking as well. But it's a test. It is a test. And sometimes people ask, well, why 10%? Why that percentage? A tenth means, a tithe means a tenth part. Well, a couple reasons. One, from God's perspective, it's fair to everybody, no matter what you make. It's a percentage. And the second thing is it's small enough, everybody can do it, but it's big enough that we have to adjust our lives in order to keep God that priority. 
God says, I want to change your heart. I want to be considered. I want my priorities to be in your life. So every time you spend money, especially on major purchases, 10% has to be taken into account. It's a great system. The other thing in the Bible is whenever that number is used over and over and over again, the same number, there's a symbolic meaning behind it. And 10 is the same. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and I want you to answer out loud real boldly, all right, with the answer all together. Okay, the first one's kind of a softball. Here's the question. The number of commandments that God gave Moses was? Wow, that's good. You got it. Ten. All right. The next one, I'll raise the ante. How many plagues were there in Egypt? Ten. I could, that's good. A little softer. That's good. Um, I could have asked the question, how many times did God test Pharaoh's heart? Right? So these are all tests. Next one, I don't know if you know the answer to this or not, but it's kind of tough. It's in Numbers 14. How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? Ten. Yeah, that's good. It's in Numbers 14, but it's, it's Ten. I think you're catching on. Uh, how many times were Jacob's wages changed? Good, good. God is testing his heart. How many days was Daniel tested? How many virgins were tested in Matthew 25? How many days of testing are mentioned in Revelation? How many disciples were there? Just testing you. There were 12 disciples. Tithing is a test, but it's a two-way test. God says, whenever I give you income... There's a test involved for you. He says, but you can test me on this. God says, you test me. You return the 10%, God says. Now I am gonna, now you can test me. And the, in fact, the word test, it's the only time in the Malachi passage that God says we can ever test him is in this area. And the word test sometimes is translated prove, which is the way you test a metal. You test gold to prove if it's pure, if it has integrity. And God is saying, you can test me. See if I have integrity. See if I keep my word. See if I keep my promises. See if I'm worthy. And here's the question we're asking throughout the Blessed Life series and something that we need to wrestle with really our whole life. And here's the question. Would I rather live with 90% of what God says he's gonna bless and the power of God is gonna be at work or do I wanna live on 100% that God says you're on your own? That's the question. And every time we get a paycheck, we answer that question. And I hear people say things like this. Well, that tithing thing, that's an Old Testament idea that was back then. God had different standards for his people back then. It's, some people call it, it was, those people were under the law. But since Jesus came, he's taken us out from underneath the law. And therefore, we don't have to do any of the things that God said were under the law. Well, actually... The idea of tithing came into play way before the law was ever formalized by God with Moses. I'm going to show you that in a minute. And it's also a New Testament idea, which I'll get to as well. But I don't understand the logic of that. Just because God says, hey, you should do these things or not do these things in the Old Testament, since the time of Jesus, it's like, oh, we're free from all of that? Well, follow me on this. One of the Ten Commandments is, you shouldn't commit adultery. So, does that mean because we're in the, under grace now, we can do that? Or this one, don't murder. Now, nobody's going to say, oh, since the time of Jesus, murdering is okay. I mean, that's crazy thinking. It's crazy. Just because something over there, God says, don't do that, doesn't necessarily mean because Jesus has come that now we can do all of that. 
Let me give you a real practical illustration. Katie, can I have your wallet? Your wallet. Yeah, just pull it out of your purse there. Bring it up here. Let me have it. Thank you. It's kind of cool. Little hearts. Your name's even engraved on it. Kate. Kate Spade, it says right here. <laughs> Is that your maiden name? Spade? Well, Katie just loaned this to me, but, oh, this is cool. Um, But I'm just going to keep it. You know, God says don't steal, but hey, it's New Testament. I'm under Jesus. I'm under grace. Is that okay if I keep her wallet? No, that's crazy thinking. So I'm going to give it back to her, at least most of it. There's no money. Oh, so you, so I asked to borrow your wallet and you take all the money out before the service. We need to talk. <laughs> so point one, tithing is a test. And every time we get a paycheck, we take it. Point two, tithing is biblical. Comes out of the Bible. A lot of people don't tithe. They don't. It's just not a part of their lives. And you're not a bad person if you don't tithe. It doesn't mean you're flippantly rebellious against God necessarily. But a lot of people don't understand the seriousness that God has about that. It's really a solid biblical principle. Something that God actually wants us to do. They view it as more of a suggestion. You know, maybe think about doing this. In Genesis, there's a story about a time when Abram was returning from a successful battle with a boatload of war booty. And he meets up with this king, Melchizedek, out in the middle of nowhere. And this is what Abraham does in chapter 14, verse 20. It says, and Abram gave him what? A tenth of everything. This is 500 years before Moses and the law, before God says, this is what you, here, it's like Abram had this sense of, how do I thank God for all of this income? And I'm gonna return 10% to God. And this King Melchizedek in the Old Testament is kind of a mysterious figure. The writer of Hebrews talks about him and refers to him as the king of righteousness or a king that kind of came out of nowhere. In fact, some, believe, some people think, scholars believe that this King Melchizedek is actually an Old Testament appearance of the Messiah, the Christ, because the Hebrew says he doesn't have a mom, he doesn't have a dad, when he doesn't ever really die, he just goes on. And so what Abraham says is, here's this figure of God that appears in his path, and he automatically just gives him 10%. In Genesis 28, Abram's grandson, Jacob, vows to give God 10% of everything that God gives him. That's about 400 years before Moses. Then, in Leviticus 27.30, God explicitly lays it out for Moses. He says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, what? Belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. And the word holy, sometimes we think of that as a stained glass word, but it simply means set apart. It's, it's special in that sense. And so God says, whenever you get a paycheck, the first 10% is set apart. It belongs to God. In one sense, it never really even belonged to us in the first place. So tithing, scripturally speaking, is not giving. It's just returning to God what God says, I want you to reserve this part for me. That's what he says. And then this wonderful thing happens in Deuteronomy 26. God tells Moses that when you get the people in the promised land and you get settled there and the ground begins to produce fruit and livestock and all of that, God says, I want you to bring the first 10% and bring it to the place where people worship. In today's day, that would be the church. Bring it there, God says, and see what I'm gonna do. 
That's what he says. And then the story, and he says, when you bring it, you and all who are there should celebrate and be glad in the presence of God and understand that all of this came from God. Whenever we take the offering here, it's an opportunity to say, God, thank you. Thank you for the income that you provided for everyone here, and we're just so delightful to share it in this way and celebrate it. And then the story goes on. And this person is praying to God in Deuteronomy 26 and says to God, God, I've, I've honored you. When I got my crops, I put them in a basket, that first 10%, and I returned the first part to you. And next week, we're gonna talk about the importance of the first part. And, and the, the, the writer goes on and says, God, there's, I went through some difficult times in my life when I thought I need that, but I didn't touch it because it belonged to you. And, and, then, and then I brought it to you. And then at the end of the chapter, God says, when someone lives like that, then you can take your eyes and lift them toward heaven. This is in verse 15. You, God says, you can ask me to look down from heaven and bless your people. When we are doing what God says, the ordinary principles of behavior, when we do that, God says, when we're living under his, we can lift our eyes and say, God, then bless. I've done what it is that you've asked me to do. Now, pour it out, I'm waiting. But if we're living over here, and we go, God, pour it out. He's going, wait a minute. I did pour it out. Come over here. That's what he's saying here. So returning God, the first portion of what gives us, what God gives us is a principle throughout the Bible. It's in the very first book of the Old Testament. It's all throughout the Old Testament. It's in the last book, Malachi, the Old Testament. And it's in the New Testament as well. Let me ask it this way. If Jesus said, you ought to tithe, would you? Would you do it? We'll turn to Matthew 23, 23. This is Jesus speaking to a group of teachers. And he says, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, just, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Here's the phrase. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Jesus is saying to this group of uh, very uh, particular people, you go to the degree of not just tithing on your food, but even all the spices that you put on your food. You're bringing it to God. But you're leaving all these hefty, important matters to the side. You're leaving justice and mercy and faithfulness aside while you're doing all this. Then Jesus says, you should do this. You ought to lean into this. But don't forget this. Don't leave this undone either. That's what Jesus is saying. Both are very, very important. And I read in a book, uh, the name of the book is Counterfeit Gods, where a pastor talks about the conversation he often has with people who come to him with, who are struggling with this whole idea of the 10% thing. And he says the conversation often goes like this. The person would say to him, you don't think that now in the New Testament believers are absolutely required to give away 10% do you. The pastor shakes his head, no, and they give a sigh of relief. But then the pastor adds quickly, think, have we received more of God's revelation, truth, and grace than Old Testament believers or less? Usually there's an uncomfortable silence. Are we more debtors to grace than, we're, than they were or less? Did Jesus tithe his lifeblood to save us or did he give it all? 
Tithing is a minimum standard for Christian believers. We certainly want, wouldn't want to be in a position of giving away less of our income than those who had so much less of an understanding of what God did to save them, would we? Good conversation. I emailed a church generosity coach this last week just to get some statistics. Where is the American church on this whole topic of tithing? Here's some of the things that, that he wrote back to me. 33 to 50% of church attenders don't give any, financials, any financial help to their church. They give nothing. The average, average church attender actually gives $50 a month, which if that's 10%, it means their salary is $500 a month. He said this, 5% of people who give anything actually tithe. He said churchgoers spend more money on their pets than they do on their church. Churchgoers spend more money on weight loss programs than they do their church. And here's a stunning one. If, if all Christians tithe, just normal standard of God's behavior, if we did that, there would be an additional $165 billion available in the United States for ministry and caring for the needs of people. Shocking. And I'm not trying to be manipulative or flippant about this at all. I'm just trying to help us understand what is, what is God's desire for us in this area. And then we can do it. And it's a difficult subject, I get that. And, but Jesus says, look, do all these important things, but don't leave this undone either. That's Jesus' teaching. That's number two. Number three, tithing is personal. I'm not gonna go into, the, read the verses in Hebrews, but I'm gonna explain these verses in our language. What these verses essentially say is, when we give at Crossroads, let's just say, and whether you write a check or whether you, uh, you know, do the giving thing online, you hit the submit button, however it is that you contribute to the financial means of Crossroads, what Jesus is saying is that we can get so practical about that. He understands that all of that money is handled in our reality, in our plane of existence. You give it, the church staff and the council manages the money, we pay the bills, all of that. It can become kind of pedantic, if you will, pedestrian. But Jesus says, wait a minute, I want you to understand this. There is a spiritual dimension to this. And what he essentially says in that Hebrews passage is that this is very personal for Jesus. He says, even though all the money stays in this reality, Jesus says, it's like when you give it, you've given it to where he is in his very presence. It's like we put the money in Jesus' hands and look him in the eye. Jesus says it's that personal to him. That's kind of cool. Number four, tithing is a blessing. In 2 Chronicles 31, King Hezekiah is reading the scriptures to the people and he comes across this section that we read where it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And Hezekiah realized, we're not doing that. We haven't been doing that for a long time. We need to reinstigate this countrywide. And so he says, let's do this. Let's begin to do this. And so he issues this decree. We're going to start tithing. And they were in an agrarian society. So when they brought a tithe, they didn't bring coins or write checks. They brought cows and goats and sheep and peaches and apples. I mean, we worry about the stock market. They had a stock market. Cows and sheep and goats, that's their stock market. And because they're an agrarian society, they, the people who were responsible for caring for the temple, the place of worship, 
they would eat the food and whatnot, and sometimes they'd celebrate it with the people. So it was a very agrarian society. There was little money, but all goods. And it was if, I'm going to use this as a bit of an analogy, the whole food thing. Think of it this way. Crossroads is a spiritual restaurant. We have a menu of things that we offer to people to grow them spiritually, to nourish your heart, to nourish your soul, to nourish, nourish your family. We have a whole menu of things. This is a spiritual restaurant. Now, I'm going to be very blunt here. Somebody is paying for the food that you're eating every week. Somebody's paying for that, right? Somebody's paying for the lights. Somebody's paying for the staff, the sprinklers, the children's staff. Somebody's paying for the air conditioning, which we're going to enjoy and soon we all hope that it's going to warm up. That's what we hope. Somebody's paying for that. The student ministry, the work we do in the community, somebody's paying for that. So let me just ask you, do you enjoy the food, the spiritual food you're getting at Crossroads? Do you enjoy that? Are you, are you eating from our menu? Well, now I'm going to be very blunt. Somebody is picking up the check. And if the statistics are right, it means a lot of people in churches normally, they eat the food and they walk out and they expect somebody else to pick up the check. That's what's happening here. But here's the sad thing. You know, it's not about the church needs your money, although the church does. It's more about what's going on in your life. It's a spiritual issue where God is saying, I want access to your finances. I want to bless. I want to bring my power to bear in the area of your money. And he says, here's what I expect from you. You, you begin to do that 10% thing, and God says, now look, now watch what I'm going to do in this whole area. And, and the majority of people, many people are missing out on that whole thing because they are simply disregarding this particular aspect of our life together. But some people do tithe here. Some people are going, you know what? I learned this. I do tithe. And I'm going to invite a friend of ours, Matt Hickman, to come up. I just had his baby dedicated just a little bit ago. And uh, he's going to talk about how important this has been for him and his family. So let's welcome Matt. Thank you, Dennis. Good morning, Crossroads. So today I wanted to just share, share a couple minutes with you to go to kind of talk about my relationship with tithing and how it's blessed my life. Um, so first off, uh, for starters, at a very young age, my parents were very practicing Christians, and they, they talked about tithing a lot with all of us kids. And they just let us know that it was something that they practiced and something that they believed in. So from a very young age, I had this you know strong testimony of it, even though I hadn't yet practiced it, but I had an understanding of what it was and what my parents were doing. And uh, I remember when I became a teenager and I got my first job, I remember my mom just kind of quietly saying to me when I first got my paycheck, she's like, okay, now you know, you could pay tithing on that. And it was just this, I knew that she took it seriously and I knew she expected of it for of me too. So through all my teenage years, I paid tithing and into my 20s. And one thing I always noticed was that I, I always had enough for what I needed. It was, sometimes it wasn't much, but I always at least had enough for the necessities of my life. Um, fast forward to my later 20s. And I, I, I went through a difficult time. I had kind of a crisis of faith. You know, I didn't really know. Um, I didn't know if I was, what kind of church I was going to go to anymore. I was, kind of, I was looking, and I was reevaluating my relationship with God. And I remember one day a coworker invited me to come here to Crossroads, and I was open to it. I wanted to see what it was like here. 
And I remember listening. I just remember that it impacted me, that I was always glad I came. I always found the messages uplifting and positive, and it was what I needed. And I almost had this kind of like new kind of view of God as so much more loving than I even grew up with, and it was transforming in my life. So being at a new church, I wasn't sure about tithing. It's a very trust relationship when you come to a new church, and you're not sure about it, but it can start small, and the trust can grow. So after coming here for about a year, I remember there was a message, and it just said, and they were talking about tithing. They said, you know, if, if you can't do 10%, or if 10% is too much to ask, you can start with 1%. You can start with 2 You can move up to 5 You can move up to 10 And I thought, okay, that's what I'm going to try. It was a relatable message, and I thought, that's what I'm going to do. So I remember starting small, giving a little bit, and as I got comfortable, I gave a little bit more, and eventually I got to 5%, and within a year, I got up to 10%. And I was paying a full tithe here at Crossroads. And I just want to share with you some of the blessings that I witnessed personally in my life. And it has a lot to do with my three boys that are here today. Um, when my first son was born, I was very worried, um, as, as most parents will, about buying a crib, getting a stroller, buying the diapers, getting the whole nursery set up, and, and the clothing and, and everything. And uh, I was very worried. And what happened was is... Through my wife and I paying a full tithe, uh, when my son, my first son was born, I actually got a raise at work, and it was just enough to kind of put me at ease a little bit, and we were able to meet all of our expenses, and, uh, and then some. We'll fast forward a couple years, and we had my second son, Devin, who's five now, and I remember being born and thinking, okay, more kids, all right, more, more mouths to feed, more clothes, more diapers again, and everything. And um, of course, my wife and I continued to pay a full tithe. And after two weeks after my, my second son was born, my wife came to me and she said, you know what, I don't think I'm going to work anymore. Um, I can't do this and, and take care of the two kids. And I remember it was just very sobering, thinking, oh my gosh, we're going to go from two incomes down to one. You know, we're not going to have as much money as we did before, but we did trust God, and we went through it, not really knowing, not seeing the beginning from the end, which was very hard for me, because I tend to want to be able to see all the steps, Um, but I had to kind of step out into that faith, not knowing what was going to happen, and sure enough, everything was fine. We were able to cover all of our bills, the mortgage was paid, the utilities were paid, and um, we even had a little bit left over to go on a vacation once a year, so that was really nice. Uh, fast forward a couple more years, and we have our third son, and my company was going through some changes, and uh, they were growing and whatnot, and so I ended up getting a promotion the year that my wife was pregnant, and uh, when our third son came, again, worried, more mouths to feed, uh, we may need a bigger house at this point, maybe a bigger car, but everything's worked out, we continued to pay our tithing, and it is scary, um, and uh, every, every time I get a paycheck, I have to tell myself, I'm doing this, it's going to work out, God's going to keep his promise, and he has. And so we got three healthy children now, and our expenses have always been paid and covered for, and we, we thank tithing for all of that, for the blessing of tithing. So thank you for letting me share thank today. You. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Thank you. So let me say something, just get this real clear. This could change your life. It can change your history. It could change the legacy of your family. You know, Matt learned it from his family growing up. I learned it in the same kind of family. Can you imagine the impact that it's going to have 
for all of us on our kids and grandkids if we do this now and begin to transfer that value and that blessing on to our extended family. It can change your marriage. It can change your sense of connectedness to God. It could change your conscience when it comes time to, uh, when you get your paycheck. It can increase the compassion in our hearts. This is, as we say, it's the key to unlocking the rewards that God has for generous living. You know, I've been in ministry for 40 years, and there's always two stories that people get around this topic. And here's the first one. It's Matt's. I've done it. It gets difficult at times, but I keep doing it, and guess what? I have experienced the blessing of God. That's one story. It's almost like I cannot afford not to do that. And the other story is people go, I can't afford to tithe. I just cannot afford to do it. Well, listen, get this. You cannot afford to tithe until you begin tithing. That's what God says. Begin it, just start, just do it. God says, then look and see what I will do. Trust God. That's what he's saying. Listen to me, do that. I wanna finish up with one final illustration. I've asked some people to help me with this. So Isaac, would you come up? Mark, would you come up? Sueli, would you come up right here? And I've asked them to help me with this illustration. Let's say that I'm a business person and I'm going off on a long trip and I want to provide for my wife, Barbara. That's right. I want to provide for my wife, Barbara, while I'm gone. So here's my arrangement. Yeah, you can move over here right to the middle, right over here. There you go. So here's my arrangement. I am going to give $10,000 to Sue, $10,000, this is monthly income, to Mark and $10,000 a month to Isaac. And here's how I'm going to provide for my wife. I want to provide for my wife through these people. So my arrangement is each of them will send my wife a $1,000 check, 10% of what I'm giving them every month to support my wife. All right, so they get $9,000 a month and my wife gets three. I don't know about that. Anyway, uh, and I'm saying uh, you can do whatever you want with the 90%. I just, every month, I want you to take 10% right off the top of what I give you and send it to take care of my wife. All right, that was the agreement. So I go off, I'm gone for two months, three months or so, and I'm calling my wife all through that. About three months in, I decide I'm gonna check in about how her income's coming in. So I ask her, Barbara, how is Sue doing? How's Sueli doing uh, on the payments? And she goes, ah, Sueli's like clockwork. The first of every month, I get a check for $1,000 every month. I said, well, how's Mark doing? She said, Mark, Unbelievable! He sends me a check for $2,000 every month. I said, that wasn't my agreement. He said, I don't know what's going on with Mark. I actually want to talk to him. I go, man, that's awesome. Thank you for providing for my wife. And then I ask her, how's Isaac doing? (laughs) Deep sigh. Well, let me talk about Isaac. The first month he sent $700. The second month he sent $400. And the third month he sent nothing. And I said, well, maybe I need to talk to Isaac. So I call him up. I go, hey, Isaac, what was our agreement? Well, yeah, what's the deal? He said, well, I didn't really think it was a hard and fast agreement. You know, I thought it was kind of a suggestion that it doesn't really matter what I do with that 10%. Like the first, first month these kids came by doing a fundraiser at school, I bought 47 dozen cookies from them. That was the 300. 
And the next month, uh, there was the United Way, and I had to give to that. And I thought, God, you don't really care about where it goes as long as I give it. So I gave. And then my car broke down. And of course, you don't expect me to go without a car. So I paid for the repair bill on my car. And then last month, I honestly, I, I really don't know what happened to the $1,000. It just kind of got absorbed in the family budget. So how am I to think about each of these people and the agreement I made with them? How am I to think about that? You guys can sit down. Thank you. But think about it this way. How especially do I feel about Isaac? About the person who I said, this is the way I've decided to provide for my wife. And you agreed to it. You said, well, I think this is a good thing. I provided you with all $10,000. You could do with 90% what you want. Just take 10% and give it to my wife. And here's what's going to happen. God's going to look at this situation and go, I can't trust this person with blessing his money. I'm going to take that and I'm going to give it to Mark and Swelly because they've proven themselves to be faithful with what I've given them. And this is a serious question before God saying, how, how am I to view this? How am I to view this? In fact, there are two parables in the New Testament where Jesus says, I'm actually going to take from this person and give it to these two because they've proven they can be trusted. Now, raise, let me raise the ante just a little bit. Jesus has gone away. He's gone away. He says, I'm going to come back someday. He says, but I want, you to, I want you to take care of my bride. And who's the bride of Christ in the New Testament? It's the local church. Crossroads is the bride of Christ. And Jesus says, here's how I'm going to provide for my bride. Everybody who eats at the restaurant of Crossroads, just take 10% and because I want my bride to be well provided for. Well provided for. And so here's the question. Whenever we get a paycheck, there's a test. There's a test. And here's the deal. Will we pass it? Will we pass the test? So I want you to just bow your heads for a second. I want to talk for just a moment. Give you some time just here at the end of the service to come before God and say, God, what are you saying to me through this message today? Maybe you've never heard anything like this before. Maybe you've never really thought about this in this way, never had this kind of teaching straightforward and, and honest and open. And I just ask you to come before God and say, God, what do you want me to do with this? What do you want me to do? There's no condemnation. There's no judgment here. Um, but I do pray that there's some conviction. And the conviction is to say to God, God, I, I want to start doing this. I want to test you. I'm not going to give to get, but I'm going to give to see what you will do because I want to draw closer to you. I want to begin to grow my faith in this area of my life. You might have to change your lifestyle, sell some stuff to be able to do it, cut back, cancel some things. God says, trust me, I can provide for you in ways you know nothing about right now. So God, I pray that we would, we do this all throughout this series. All of us will take steps of faith and step out and go, I trust you in this area of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.